Ramble. I don't really like doing chores around the house, I'm going to be honest with you, and I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time, and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized, and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging, and that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously, that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for a job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters. Especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult. The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try audible now free for 30 days visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 that's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try audible free for 30 days bada bing bada boom bada bing bada boom welcome to today's chaotic episode i don't know how to preface this but i do want to put a quick disclaimer it's gonna be chaos it's just pure chaos a dumpster fire burning to the depths of hell type of chaos and it might be a two-parter might be my very first two-parter ever so we are talking about dean coral today who is a serial killer that is known as the candy man literally the candy man that's what he's known for is there, no, I know there's an urban legend where you go in front of a mirror in the dark bathroom and you say Candyman five times. Uh-huh. There's a movie coming out next year about it. And then this like this man will come out. This is what it's based upon? No, 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 no. It's actually based upon um like a weird book, but this is like a different version of the Candyman. This is the version of, you know, that stereotype that we have of like pedophiles inside their white vans, their windowless vans, and they're just driving around. They see a kid, they skirt, skirt, stop. And then they're like, hey, kid, you want some candy? Get in my van. You know that? This is that guy. And it's not because he's known as the Candyman because he liked some Skittles, because he liked Snickers bars. It's literally because he was a Candyman. He had a candy manufacturing little factory. He had a candy business. He had a candy store. His entire livelihood at one point was his candy company. Straight up. Welcome to the candy shop. 50 Cent. All of that. (laughs) okay i got a little too passionate there (laughs) so i do want to mention that um a lot of my source came from an article that i'm going to link in all of the source notes but a book by the name of a man with the candy the houston mass murders by jack olson surprisingly enough there are not a lot of docuseries a lot of documentaries about dean coral even though i think in my opinion he is one of the most just disgusting savage serial killers out there that i've ever researched so i'm going to drop you into the middle of dean coral's childhood so the whole 
family setup. I'm going to give you the rundown. The dad, his name is Arnold Edwin Coral, and he was incredibly strict with the kids. I couldn't find any evidence that he was abusive or violent, but it just seemed like he had um, a way about him. He's like, okay, if you do this, I'm going to punish you. And that's just the way it is. Like, that's how you raise a man. Like, he seems like the type to say that. Whereas the mom, on the other hand, Mary Emma Robinson, very intense name. <laughs> She's an intense woman. And she was super protective of both of her sons. So Dean is the eldest. He has a younger brother by the name of Stanley. That's the whole family situation. And the mom treated the kids like they were just like the apple of her eye. She is the type of person where her kid will go and punch someone and she would be like, oh, well, you know, boys will be boys. That's the type of mom that Mary was. So there was a lot of just differences in his parenting. Like um, his dad was one way, his mom was one way, and then they would always fight each other on how are they going to raise these kids together. So a couple of notable instances, for example, is that Dean, when he was young, he wasn't tall enough to reach the bathroom sink faucets because, you know, you got to like lean up, you got to turn on the sink, then you can wash your hands in the water. Mm -hmm. He wasn't tall enough. So he would do this thing where he would get up onto the toilet, stick both of his feet into an open toilet bowl. I'm talking ankles deep in toilet water. I'm hoping that he flushed. And then he would get up on there and now he's able to reach the little faucets. He would turn it on, wash his hands. So he's inside of the toilet? Inside of the toilet, like ankles deep in toilet water. Okay. And so the parents are looking on at this. What is he doing in there? Washing his hands. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. So he's like, let me put my foot in poo-poo water (laughs) so I can clean my hands. Yes, because my hands have germs because I just pooed. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You're on to something. And so the parents, they'd be looking out at this. And Arnold, the dad, he's like, okay, well, obviously we need to punish him. If he keeps doing this, he's going to get more toilet water onto the bathroom floor. I mean, this is just not a good habit. What if we're in a public restroom? He's like, hold on. Let me just go wash my hands, daddy. And just sticks his feet into a toilet bowl. You know, we can't have that. But the mom, on the other hand, Mary's like, this is freaking cute. I need to I need to take a picture. I need to send this to my friends. I need to put this in my little Facebook group. They didn't have Facebook back then, but she would have totally put it in her little mommy Facebook group. You know, it's one of those uh, TikTok videos. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> tell me why. you. What is that? Like, oh, tell me that you have kids without telling me you have kids. <laughs> And so because of this, the parents just could not stop arguing. So they decide to get a divorce. Now, they end up getting remarried again and then divorced again. So that whole situation is just kind of a shit show in itself. Now, Mary, let's really talk about the mom because most of Dean Quirrell's childhood is from the perspective of Mother Mary. Now, Mary, like I said, she is obsessed with her boys to the point where after all of these serial killings were exposed, they were brought to light. She claimed that Dean is innocent, not my baby boy. So I'm sure that there are tons of things in his childhood that she is just conveniently leaving out. She's like, I don't remember that. What are you talking about? So I'm just going to tell you what Mary said about Dean's childhood. So take it with a grain of salt. She said that he was constantly alone. Like that was his thing. He was a recluse. He liked being alone. He's an introvert. He didn't like going out to hang out with friends. He didn't like it because one time he went to a birthday party and he got his feelings hurt. He was six years old. He went there and you know there everyone's playing these little games. Everyone's winning these prizes. You get the little hoops in the little cone thing. You win a prize. Mm -hmm. He was trying and he couldn't win a prize. And so his feelings were just immensely hurt and so from that point forward he's like i'm not going to nobody's birthday party anymore i'm not hanging out with anybody anymore like this sucks i never win any prizes so she's like yeah from that point he just put his guard up and then never put it down that was the pivotal moment a six-year-old birthday party this is why i'm so scared to have kids because i don't even know what's a turning point in childhood memories you know in childhood trauma i think that's why we have participation awards now 
Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but like, that's kind of sad. If I was having a birthday party for my kid and there was what a kid who say? didn't get a prize, I would give them a prize. Like, w- your kid comes back saying, Mommy, I got a participation award. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? I would say... Congratulations I got for a doing lot the bare those. minimum. <laughs> no, I got a lot of those when I was young. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I love rude. America. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, and so she says that he grew up just worrying about others. He would be frantic if people didn't come home the time that they said they would come home. So if his little brother is like, hey, I'm going to go play with my friend and then didn't come home in an hour, he would call his mom and he'd be like, mommy, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm freaking out. Our little brother's not home. Like, what do we do? What do we do? Should we call the cops? So she just claims that he was incredibly serious. That's the whole gig. He's just a serious ass kid. <laughs> he just like, I've never heard somebody describe <laughs> that kid. Know. My kid. Oh yeah, he's serious. He's serious. He's very serious. <laughs> <laughs> Little businessman, <laughs> serious motherfucker. <laughs> like I feel like other people look yeah. at that kid and probably say some different words. Yes, but she loves her kid, so she's just like, yeah, he's serious. Yeah, like I think maybe people would look at them and be like, maybe there's some he's, behavior. Maybe issues. he's quiet. He's shy. Yeah. He's like in like he doesn't maybe like to hang out. Trauma. Yeah, but the mommy was like, my kid. Serious. serious he's a serious ass kid <laughs> and so he starts developing some medical issues early on so when he's seven years old he gets undiagnosed case of a fever that was going around and it involves the heart joint skin and brain no one found out about it until he's 11 years old and he gets a heart murmur and that's when they were like oh shit you probably had this for quite some time and now you can't play pe so it wasn't that serious that he needed any surgeries or anything but they were just like you can't hang out with your kids you can't go around and run around and play football so he's physically weak a little bit but he actually becomes incredibly strong <laughs> it's very confusing okay. i'm telling you it's a chaotic story like this man is weird and so they're like hey you need to avoid p at school he's like okay that's fine so the same year that he gets diagnosed with all of these things his parents try to get back together and they relocate the entire family to texas now when they get to texas that's where things start getting weirder so there is record that um dean coral he would not necessarily abuse animals. This is what makes it so strange. And I think it has to do with the fact that his mom is telling this story. There is no evidence of animal torture, animal abuse, animal murders. There's no torture of wetting the bed, setting fires, all of these things that we commonly see in a lot of serial killers. But he did this thing that I kind of consider animal abuse. He would catch squirrels. He would catch them in these little squirrel traps. And then he would tie them up like a necklace and wear them around his neck to school. I don't know what's more questionable. The so, fact that he did that, but the or the fact that the school and everyone at school was like, this is completely normal behavior. And the mom said there's no animal abuse. Yeah, she was, I mean, she was didn't say there was no animal abuse, but she was just like, I mean, that's just what kids did back in the day. Like, boys will be boys. Like, that's pretty much how she explained the situation. If the mom just, that's <coughs> all the mom say, yeah. and you take it with a grain of salt, you can't imagine. It's much worse. He probably did some shit. And I just don't know why the school didn't do anything. I don't know why anybody didn't call the cops. It just seemed like this is it. This is completely normal. This is show and tell. I, this is a weird part of Texas. This was Vidor, Texas. And I don't know if you guys know anything about it, but apparently it's a very, very um, like a small town that is known for being incredibly racist. From what I can tell, that's what the book told me. I've never been to Vidor, Texas. But they this said is that they had, back in the day. Yeah. So right? it's probably even worse. That at this point, they get a divorce. So Mary and Arnold, the two parents, they get into their second divorce. And Mary immediately meets another man by the name of Jake West. And she gets married to him. Now, he is a traveling clock salesman. And he 
Mary's a very interesting character. It seems like Mary was the peacemaker of all of them. So Dean and Jake didn't get along. Stanley, her other son, and Jake probably didn't get along. So she's just kind of in the middle trying to make this work. They also have another sister who's born by the name of Joyce. So we've got Dean, Stanley, and Joyce. Now, mind you, Stanley and Joyce are going to be not really part of the story at all. Even after everything comes to light, they didn't want to do any interviews. They were just like, okay, bye. Like, this is insane. So a pecan nut salesman walks by one day. I'm telling you, this is a Pecan nut salesman. A pecan. I'm pretty sure it's pecan. Pecan. (laughs) He said a pecan. No, he said a pecan. (laughs) He's just walking around. So we've got the clock salesman. We've got a pecan nut salesman. There's just a lot going on. Okay, a lot of salesmen. So he's going through Vidor, Texas, and he realizes that Mary is making a bunch of these little candies with the pecans that she's buying from him. And he's like, wait a minute. These are delicious. These are amazing. And did you know, Mary, pecans are going to the moon. You should start your own business with pecans. I mean, I am making so much money traveling around Texas. Texas just selling fucking pecans. I mean, it's it's lucrative. So Mary is like, you know what? I might just do that. So she starts a company by the name of Pecan Prince. So Dean works there after school. I mean, immediately after school, that's where he was all night. He was still attending school, working there day and night, running the machines, packing the products. And then Jake West, this traveling clock salesman, now turned candy salesman, he would go from town to town. He would mainly go towards Houston because that was like the major city nearby. And um, that's where most of his sales were. So during his high school life, it seems like because of all of those pecans that he's making at night, because he's just not really a sociable person, he becomes a pretty big loner. Now, there is no evidence, again, that he's been bullied that people hated him, that he was weird. It just seems like he really just kept to himself. He had satisfactory grades. And his mom says he did what he was told to do, everything he was asked to do, and always neat and polite. So like a little bitch baby, I think is what she's trying to say. Like he just, you know. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So he dates a few girls here and there, but really his only interest in school was playing the trombone and pecans. The, the band instrument. Okay. So um, he freaking loved the trombone. They said that their football team, which by the way, Texas is all about football. They said their football team in high school was shit, but their band was their the band shit. Was the shit. Mm-hmm. So they would go out of town to perform and Dean would pack little, you know, pecan candies for everyone. And it was like this whole ordeal. So again, it just seems like kind of a wholesome, chaotic childhood, right? Then it gets weirder. So after high school graduation, they moved closer to Houston, Texas to be closer to their clientele, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when grandma becomes widowed. Grandpa dies. And now Mary's like, listen, my mom is now a widow. I don't know what to do. She lives all the way in Indiana. She's got this big old farm herself and I need someone to go and take care of her. I'm running this pecan business. My husband is running this business. Dean, you need to go. Now that you're 19 years old you need to go take care of your grandma for about two years get her back on her feet help around the farm and maybe this is good for you because you keep fighting with my husband and it's just a lot because i'm the middle the middle peacemaker you know and so he's like okay fine he goes to indiana and this is where he starts doing some weird shit he was obsessed with astronomy and he gets it from his mom so mom mary she loves astronomy she loves psychics she loves reading birth charts like she's all about that so in the little barn room that he has he's got these star charts all all over the walls he's got a 600 power telescope to look at the stars but grandma said that instead of looking at the stars he would spy on the neighbors a lot he would just stare at the neighbors and it did, there's oh no indication that he was watching the neighbors inside their house i'm assuming he was at night but um he would spy on them and the grandma would be like what are you doing with that telescope and he'd be like come look grandma look grandma and she would look and he's just watching them like feed their own livestock because this is farmland you know uh-huh and she's like 
this is crazy. Like, what are you doing? She just thought it was weird. He also made these little mockumentaries. So he would get this movie camera. He bought a movie camera and he was obsessed with it. He There's was like, movie cameras back yeah. in the day? Well, like, I guess like a digital camera, right? Like a, not a digital camera. Like, what do you call those cameras? A camcorder? Okay. So <laughs> you know, you, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like a camera. And he was like, this is amazing. Um, first of all, I'm going to make these little movies. I'm going to be the next... Jesus, I don't know any movie producers. So he's like, I'm going to be the best, right? And he gets all of these neighborhood kids to come around and they start producing movies. Um, it was kind of like Grey's Anatomy. So they would get these chicken livers and they would have a girl lay down on the counter and they would pull out chicken livers from behind her, like an optical illusion with these tongs. And they'd be like, clear, we've opened her up. Scalpel. Like they would just play Grey's Anatomy straight up. It's like little kids play Playhouse. Right? Yes, but he's like 20. <laughs> but and these are kids um it seems like they were like high school age or younger oh, yeah okay. so it was just a little little odd so he said that it was supposed to be a comedy it's just supposed to be funny hee hee ha ha chicken livers but grandma didn't really think it was that cute so eventually after about two years he moves back to houston to help with the candy business because at this point pecan prince oh yeah it's a booming business uh-huh <laughs> they're making money so at night he would be second in command in the candy business he lived in the apartment above the garage where the candy was being made and this time he would finally get paid for all of his hard work because he didn't get paid during high school then he gets enlisted to the army so 24 years old the army is like hey we need you to come we need you to come like this is the whole thing we're going to war so he goes to the army and he went to louisiana for basic training then he applied to be discharged because his family business needed him and discharged. his mom, yeah That's... it's insane because his mom actually wrote a letter to the army and was like i need my little baby boy back i need my son and they say okay fine here you go yeah so they gave him an honorable discharge within 10 months into his service very interesting. Now, that that army service, 10 months, is going to be really important later. So when he gets back home, he actually starts talking to a woman. And this is kind of pertinent because, you know, Mary, the whole time she's been like, you need to get yourself a girlfriend. You need to get yourself a girlfriend. Like, you need to make a family of yourself. And we all become these pecan empires, right? Like, we need to do this. And he just was never interested in anyone. He just didn't like women, it seemed. So he meets a woman by the name of Wanda. Now, she had Wanda? known... Oh, yeah. WandaVision. We're obsessed. So he had known Wanda from the Indiana farm where he was staying at when he was like 1920. They were talking on the phone. They were sending each other tape recorded letters that he would ship her cakes like full on cakes shipped to Indiana. He would ship her candy. And it was just a super sweet relationship. And Mary was really ecstatic. She was like, oh, my gosh, he's going to marry this sweet little girl from the farms. And ooh, we're just going to have like the perfect little family. She's going to come over to Texas and she's going to become like a little pecan princess. And then one day the telephone rings and and it's Wanda. And she says, Dean, Dean, are you sitting down? He's like, no. Well, well, go ahead and sit down. Okay, I'm sitting down now, Wanda. Dean, I'm getting married. Who? To who? To you. And he immediately hung up the phone and never freaking called her back. Wait, what the fuck is happening? So I think D I think Wanda was trying to give Dean a hint like, hey, like, are you going to propose to me soon? Or maybe this was her proposal or maybe this was just a joke. But ever since that phone call, he just straight up hung up on her beep and never called her back. Never freaking talked to her ever again. Huh. OK. After all of that. If there was one app that I could implant into my brain, one plugin, it would be Grammarly Premium. Let me tell you, 
I don't know what it is. I think it has to do with quarantine. Everything is done online. We're getting so many emails. We're getting so many messages. Everything starts blending together. We start sounding the same to every single person. More effective writing is the key to making better connections. And Grammarly Premium gives you real-time insights and guidance on tone, word choice, clarity, and more so that you can communicate clearly and confidently. I love their clarity suggestions. It's a feature that makes your sentences more clear, more concise by cutting out unnecessary words and redundant words. They also have things like vocabulary suggestions because I'm the type of person where if I have a word that I like, I will use it nonstop even when it doesn't make sense. So it helps you avoid overused words to keep your readers engaged. Everyone that I have personally suggested Grammarly Premium to, they've noticed a difference in their professional lives. They've noticed a difference in their academic lives, whether you're writing a letter to your landlord, your teacher, your professor, or your coworker, or maybe, you know, your boss. You need to harness the power of Grammarly on every platform with their desktop editor, browser plugin, and mobile apps. Improve your writing in all your favorite sites and apps like Outlook, Gmail, Twitter, LinkedIn, and more. Elevate your writing with 20% off Grammarly Premium by signing up at Grammarly.com slash Rotten Mango. That's 20% off Grammarly Premium at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash Rotten Mango. So the question is, was it Wanda or maybe Dean is not interested in women because all this time, you know, his mom Mary's trying to set him up with this girl and this girl and that girl and he just wasn't into any of it. Now, someone from the army that had spent time with Dean said that he turned into the F slur while in the army. Literally, that's what he said point blank. And he said, I guess that's the only way I can say it. Turn into what? The F slur. F-A-G. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. And it's oh. like, and then he follows it up with, I guess that's the only way I can say it. There are so many other ways that you can say it, sir. I don't know what's wrong with you. So the people in the army claimed that he realized that, um, Dean realized that he was homosexual while he was in the army and he had his first gay experience there. And then, and I quote, then it just got worse and worse and worse. The end is going to get even worse because Houston police are just going to go off the radar, off the wires, just balls to the walls with this homophobia thing. So at this point, Jake and Mary's marriage is not going well. This is her third marriage. It's going into the shitter again. So they keep arguing. And one day Jake threw Mary out of the shop and was like, just go home. Like, I'm done with you. Like, I'm sick of you. So she leaves. And Mary being the strong woman that she is, she says, listen, I'm not going to sit around while this little boy bosses me around. Who does he think he is? Like, like my husband is not the king of my life, you know? I'm going to do my own thing. So she opened up her new candy shop called Coral Candy Company while she was still married with Jake. So Jake is now running Pecan Prince and she's running Coral Candy Company under the same household. Wow. Yeah. So after one argument, it became a two candy, one family household. It's just really intense. So while they're still married, Jake goes around telling everyone, oh my gosh, guess what? You'll never guess it. Someone stole my recipes and someone's stealing all of my packaging ideas. I mean, this is absolutely bonkers. Who could it be? Meanwhile, Mary is just going around door to door being like, hey, I opened up my new company. And it was the same packaging as Pecan Prince. <laughs> Wait, so he had no idea? No, he knew. And he was trying to sabotage her business and was trying to make people feel like, oh, Mary West, you know, stole her husband's recipes and is trying to start her own thing. So we've got to boycott her company because she's stealing. She's stealing from the original pecan prince. Back in the days, it's weird. Yeah. So, you know, he starts giving out tons of candy so that, you know, Coral Candy Company will just go down the shitter and pecan prince will be strong. And then she'll eventually come running back to him like, Jakey, I'm sorry. Like, that was my bad. Right. They're still married during this point. I mean, that's insane. 
So obviously we can tell it's going to get bad. They eventually get divorced and she decides that she's going to open up a new location across the street from the Helms Elementary School. That was like where the factory was going to be. She was going to have this little shop and it was the Candy Coral Company. The Coral Candy Company. You get it. Now, that is when the rivalry between Pecan Prince and Coral Candy Company got so intense. So Jake started writing on all of the packaging, the original Texas Pecan Chewy created by J.J. West. So then Mary, she gets pissed off and she's like, because that was my idea. The Pecan Nut Salesman told me to start a company and I started the Pecan Prince. And now you are running the Pecan Prince acting like you started the Pecan Prince. She Uh was pissed. So she wrote in the same writing, the same type of inscription, Coral Candy, new, improved, but with a woman's touch. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> I know forget this is, about Apple and Samsung. Like, yeah, this is the ultimate let's competition. Talk about the candy. <laughs> so it was a very intense com- competition. So Mary hates Jake and kept telling her sons, especially Dean, like I hate him. I hate him. We got to put him out of business. He's disgusting. He's evil. He didn't treat me right. He treated me dirty. We're gonna run into the ground. So Dean, he just did anything that his mom told him to do. And mm-hmm. his mom even said, and I quote, Dean did whatever i asked of him and never complained i don't know if that's really a brag but okay fine go off lady so meanwhile she's doing her thing this time she's in her 50s she's a nice looking lady that's what everyone says she's got this good figure and she just really wanted to remarry like she wanted to run jake her ex-husband out of business but she also wanted a new husband so she wore tons of makeup she had these extravagant sweaters fur coats things like that and she would just drive around in a new station wagon looking for men a lot of people in the town of texas the town of Texas, a lot of people in this town of Texas said that you kind of get the impression that she's trying to hang on to her youth. That's kind of what they thought of her, which, by the way, there's no shame in that. But that's just probably odd back in the day. Yeah, definitely odd back in the day. Right. And the mother and son relationship was incredibly weird. People said that it wasn't incesty, but it was odd. So he would scold her in front of other people. So it was almost like she is the daughter and he is the dad. Dean, the very serious kid, is now the dad. And maybe it has to do with the fact that, you know, they got divorced when he was young. He Maybe he felt like he had to fill the man's shoes, as they say, and be like the man of the house back in the day. That was really important. So he would constantly be like, oh, mother, don't, and shake his head in dis- disapproval while his mom was like doing something. And people were like, this is just... This is a little weird. Like the this whole thing, the vibes are off. Now, Dean, he was keeping this candy company afloat. Like this guy, the only thing I will give to him and the only thing people give to him is his work ethic because he would come up with innovative recipes. He almost put pecan prints completely out of business. So Pecan Prince, their candy's good. Their recipes are good. But Dean was always working on new recipes, you know, perfecting current recipes. He was a hard worker. And girls at the factory just kind of went wild about him. They were like, oh, my God, like, this is a man's man. Like, this man works so hard. He, If I marry this man, he will make sure that I never go a day wanting food, you know? Like, he's going to put food on the table. Like, this guy is a go-getter. Like, it would be over 100 degrees in the candy-making building. And there's, like, mixtures of just thick syrups on the pot all the time splattering splittering everywhere and he would get burnt all the time never complain nothing like that was just what he was doing in all of his 20s never complained never went on dates never really went to party like this was his job so he was really popular amongst kids not just women but kids 
So like I said, this was right across the street from Helms Elementary School, right? And they called him the candy man because he would always give local kids free candy, like the samples of new recipes that he's trying out or maybe like the ugly ones that he can't sell. So he would constantly give these kids candy and no one thought it was weird. He, they said that he didn't do it in a creepy way. He wasn't like a pedo. He wasn't like, hey, kid, sit on my lap. Yeah. I'm Santa. Think about it. Santa's a little creepy sometimes, okay? But like, um, you know, he wasn't very creepy about it. They said it's almost like a scoutmaster. I kept reading the word scoutmaster in all of this research. It's almost like, you know, he's just a big brother. He's just trying to teach them the rights and wrongs of life. And he's trying to put them under his guidance, not in a creepy way, but very like a mentor, like a gentleman. That's what people said. The principal even called the candy factory and said, um, can you guys please stop encouraging the kids because they're crossing the street to go get free candy and that's really dangerous and they're just little kids and they're crossing a major road and even the parents are complaining like can you please stop giving out free candy because it just encourages them to come back more and dean didn't give a fork he would still give out the free candy and Hmm. i quote someone said i've never seen a man that loved kids like dean oh no oh no i've never seen a man that loved kids more yeah that's the creepiest saying that's the like creepiest. put it put it to today's age time yeah. and age today's time and age is really intense though but which i'm glad i'm sure it's protecting a lot of people but even me like when i walk by a kid i'm like i'm not even looking at you dude like <laughs> i'm scared i'm not scared to even look at people now <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i don't know i mean it, that i guess it was acceptable back in the day people just thought he was a little scout master now they had a lot of employees now a lot of them would be local teenagers that were male that would work at the candy store or the candy factory and dean was a cool boss a very cool boss he installed a pool table at the back of the factory and he would hang out with all of these teenagers and you know some might say that he was super flirtatious with the male employees which in any other setting this would be completely fine except the fact that he is older than them they're underage and the power dynamic of him being the boss and them being the employee so if you take all of that out it's nothing it has nothing to do with him being gay so um he would kind of flirt with the male employees a little bit and a lot of teens would also say that he's super nice to them he's almost like a brother and never tried anything weird with them they didn't think that it was out of the norm and when little kids would come around he had this little motorcycle in the back and he would let them on the back and he would ride them around the little lot and they loved it he's like sounds really cool yeah sounds really cool so when people ever questioned it mary's entire explanation was and i quote he had a lot of young friends you know they latched onto him he didn't look for them one would bring another and they he would let them use the tape player teach them how to use it let them come in anytime they wanted really make them feel at home so it sounds like he he's feeling like he's doing like a community service. Mm-hmm. And you know how kids can be. They will bring their friends and stuff. And he's like, oh, maybe you're like neglected at home. Like maybe you've never seen a tape recorder. Let me just be the big brother that you never had mm-hmm. type of vibe. So he also had this truck. Now, the original truck design that he had was very pit my ride. It was a cool ass truck. He had a movie theater in the back. He put a blue carpet in. He had an old couch in it. Yeah, he put carpet in the back of his van. He had a blue couch in it. He had had a stand for surfboards like you know how you can hang them sideways horizontally yeah. on a van yeah yes, he so had like, that like, like a van life a van life so that he could drive kids to the beach in south texas and they would just surf together he had a tv set inside of his van so that they could watch movies inside the van 
That's the van insane. with the candy, with the candy van, the van, the pedo. Ooh, okay. So the employees noticed how flirty that he was. So if a guy would walk by, he would reach out and kind of like pinch him. Like he would do these small flirtatious gestures. Now, someone was quoted with saying, he didn't try anything fruity in front of us, but it became very obvious what he was, implying that they all knew that Dean was gay. Mm-hmm. Um, they just said it in such a disgusting way. A lot of them are confused about how Mary had no idea because during all of this, all of these employees and, you know, that candy factory... They had lent out some space to like a candy apple shop. So there was multiple different companies operating out of that factory. Mm-hmm. They all knew that Dean was gay and they were confused how Mary had no idea. Like th- during this, she's how trying they to know set him Mar- up. Oh. Yeah, with women. He, she's see. just like, oh, what about this girl? What about this girl? And everyone's like, oh, Mary, like get the, like, do you not understand what's going on? And all of the employees say that we just kept quiet about it because he was such a nice, decent person. I don't know what that means. Again, very controversial statements from, wow, what the heck? Now, there were a couple of things that were very strange, right? So reportedly, he had a really, really bad temper and they think that it was tightly controlled. So anytime he was making candy and doing his little thing, all these employees are around. He's playing pool with these boys, right? And um, someone would come and say, hey, this order got canceled or this batch got ruined. He would get really angry, but it would never show on his face. His ears would turn bright red and he would quickly run to the back of the factory where he had a room and they called it his pouting room. Because he would just disappear in there. And people said he he looked like a little kid. Like he would just go in there and he would pout. And he would just sit there and be grumpy and pout. And then he would immediately come back out as if nothing happened. And he would just be like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's what I'm saying. I'm wondering if maybe it's kind of a good thing because you are the boss and you don't want to discourage your team. But like, I think maybe it was just done in a really weird way. Because, I mean, the technically the self-control, like, that's a lot of self-control, right? Yeah. You go walk away from the situation, manage your um, emotions, te- emotion, and then you come back. And then which, handle the problem, yeah. Which is yeah, pretty like, mature. <laughs> I feel like I read this in, like, leadership books, <laughs> and then suddenly we're like, fucking serial killers, dude. <laughs> they do some weird shit. <laughs> okay. Now, the only major red flag that I could find was that there was an employee by the name of Jimmy, and he was a teenager, and he was really scared of Dean. There was no explanation he just was consistently defensive towards dean he didn't act like he hated him he just really acted like he didn't want to be alone with him so he's supposed to come in and clean for the candy apple crew right Mm -hmm. so a different company and um he said can you just can i wait to do my cleanup till everybody else is in like i promise i'll clean fast before you guys get started in the the making of the candy apples and they were like why like what's going on like it's dean's gonna be here you're not gonna be alone it's not spooky and he was like please can i just come when everyone else is in. Like, I promise I'll clean fast. And this information was shared by the, the other candy com- apple company. Yeah. Wow. After the fact. And they were like, why? What's wrong? Like, are you afraid to be alone with Dean? And he just dropped his head. Like, oh. he just like hung his head. How old is the, the dude? I think he was like 15. Wow. So he just drops his head and I don't know what came about it. I don't know if they were accommodating to his schedule, but we don't really know. Now, this is where it starts getting even more chaotic. Dean had a phase. You know how everyone goes through a phase? Maybe your boss goes through a phase where they're like, oh, Starbucks on me or we need 25 coffee machines. Dean had a phase where he would shovel. He would go out there and he would just dig, dig in the back of the candy store all night long. Yep. The rear wall of the factory and the railroad spur that ran along the back. He would just dig. He even dug in his pouting room. Wait, what? Yeah. He's dug- digging a grave or something? Maybe. 
So he would just go and dig and dig and dig. He dug in his pouting room. He boarded it over and he laid fresh cement on it. Nobody asked. Inside of his pouting room, he had a big roll of clear plastic, sacks of cement. And again, nobody asked what those were for. They were like, it's just Dean. He would also dig in like this wooded area that later became a parking lot. And people would be like, hey, like, why do you constantly go out at night and dig? Like I, I drove past and I saw you digging again. Like, what are you digging? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. It's a, that's not a normal hobby. No one just picks up digging like you pick up tennis or something. It was like, I just fucking love it. It's really good cardio, like muscle training. Like, it's just weird. Like, why do you keep digging? And so once they started bringing up these questions, he answered them. Hey, listen, discarded candy apples they they just bring a lot of bees like so many bees spoiled pecans they're infested with bugs and if we get them into our fresh pecans then it's just like this whole thing that i have to deal with so the best way to avoid insect pests is to bury all of the contaminated stuff and they would be like okay well that makes sense so they would just watch him dig all night long without any complaint he was just digging all day all night just that was a phase that he went through digging so then good old Mary, she gets onto a computer and yeah, okay, there's computers back in the day. So he's shook. There was this matchmaking site where they had this giant computer and you sit there and you fill out a questionnaire and they run it through the computer. But I guess maybe it's not really a computer at that point, And they will literally find you who is your match based on the ways that you answer your questions. So like the first matchmaking service, the first Tinder you know, mm-hmm. you get it. So uh, Mary meets a guy by the name of Walt, and this is going to be her fourth marriage with the third man. Walt is a merchant seaman, and he is um, he's not really a good person. So they only knew each other for about a month. They get married, a very rushed decision, and they started honeymooning in Mexico City. And that's when Mary realized this guy is forking violent. Like, he's so violent. He would raise hell with a cab driver and just would start screaming at him for no reason. Like, maybe he had forgotten, like, five cents of the change, and she, he would just blow blow up everywhere he went on their honeymoon he's just yelling at strangers Mm -hmm. and she's like okay like this is weird so she does some more digging when she gets back to texas and his previous wife had hung herself and he took off the rope from her neck before he called the police so there was a lot of suspicions in the community that he had actually murdered his first wife (laughs) and she was like okay maybe i should divorce him so um she divorces him and then remarries him again So she goes into her fifth marriage with her third husband. Yeah, it's very interesting. Now, Mary keeps going to her psychics during this time because she's really confused. She's like, do I love Walt? Does Walt love me? Like, what's going on with our relationship? And Walt had brought up some really intense concerns with her. He said, hey, do you know that your son is gay? And I said, Walt, what do you mean? And Walt's like, you know, the number of young boys he invites over, like, that's just not normal. Like, why does he give out all this free candy that can't be good for your bottom line? Like, I'm pretty sure your son is gay. And Mary is like, no, my son is loyal, obedient, helpful, loving, and just a good, normal boy. And she had science to back it up because she went to her psychic and the psychic told her astrologically impossible for Dean to be gay based off of his birth charts, his star charts, his moon charts, his butt charts. Like, I don't know, all of that jazz. She was just like, this is impossible. Like, my psychic told me that my son is not gay. It just doesn't match. The universe didn't have it in its plans, okay? And so Walt's like, okay, I mean, I guess, but why doesn't he have a serious girlfriend then? And that's when Mary's like, okay, well, it's because I've been through so many broken marriages. Like, he just doesn't want to get hurt. Like, you know, he's seen me go through so many men. He's seen me go through, you know, so many different failed relationships. He just doesn't want to be a part of that. He doesn't want to get his heart broken like I have. 
So he's like, his mom is really living in her own world. Yeah, like truly, truly, truly. And I think that it will it'll show at the end of the story too. It seems like she was so busy doing her own thing that she refuses to take any sort of acknowledgement because that would mean that she was a shitty mom. Like she was so busy doing her own thing that she didn't raise her kid right, and then he turned out to be a serial killer. Now I'm not blaming all serial killers' parents. I'm just saying, you know, in this situation, I think maybe that's why she's deflecting so much. Mm. And so the dude was insane. Walt is insane. He would do these crazy things that he would go to work in Boston and he would fly back to Houston without telling anyone because Mary didn't come to the phone. She didn't answer the phone, so he's like, you know what? I'm gonna fly to Houston again and see what the fork is up. He would rent a car so that Mary has no idea that it's his car. Sit outside in front of the house. For two nights in a row, all day, all night, just waiting for something to happen, waiting for like a guy to come out of the house. Well, that guy's insane. Yeah. I have an avoidant personality. If there is something that stresses me out or if I don't fully understand something and it's just like this thing that weighs over me, I avoid the crap out of it until I realize I eventually have to face my demons. And you know that credit card, the one that you see like the balance and you're like, okay, maybe I'll look at it another day. (laughs) And then you keep avoiding it. I went through that and I'm telling you, once you get a handle on it, you feel free and Upstart can help you face it. If you guys don't know about Upstart, it's the fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all done online. So whether it's paying off those credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or even funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. They help find smarter rates with trusted partners. And my favorite thing is that they assess more than just your credit score. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. You can get approved the same day and receive those funds as fast as one business day. If debt is taking over your life, it's truly time to get a fresh start with upstart find out how upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash rotten that's upstart.com slash rotten don't forget to use our url to let them know that we sent you also loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application (laughs) so one more time for the people in the back go to upstart.com slash rotten So Walt is just sitting out there waiting for Mary to screw up. And finally, he decides, you know what? I'm done waiting. I'm going to call this house. So he gets his phone. He calls the house and he called the wrong number. And a man picks up because it's not Mary's house. He called the wrong house and he thinks that he called the right number. So he's like, what the heck? Why is there a man inside this house? Like Mary said that she was going to be at work. Mary said that she was going to be at home doing some laundry, doing some cleaning. But now there is a man inside the house. So he bust through the door like Uh i'm talking shoulder to door just tackled it and he sees mary sitting in the living room completely alone sewing just sewing a sweater and she's like what is wrong with you so that was like the initial problems then it got even stranger he would start stealing things from around the house like he'd be like oh this is a beautiful candle that you have and then it would just completely disappear the next day and she'd be like hey i know this is a really weird question to ask but did you steal my candle like did you just take it because you were looking at it and now it's gone and I mean, where would I even take a candle? And he's like, oh, I'm sure it's your son, Dean. Your gay son, Dean, stole the candle because that's what gay people do. Like, Walt was very homophobic, okay? And so um, she's like, but I don't think it was my son. Why would my son steal my candle? Like, he has been such a good son. And so she would ask Dean and Dean would get upset and he'd be like, why would you accuse me of stealing your candle? I don't want your candle, mom. And so Dean eventually stopped coming to the mom's place. He was just like, I'm so done with this. I don't want to get involved. I was just so hurt with you accusing me of stealing all of these crazy things. And it's all because of this stupid ass husband that you have. 
So their family life was just all over the place. So Walt keeps telling Mary, listen, it's not me. I'm doing all of these weird things like I'm, you know, flying from Boston to Houston and tackling down your front door and yelling at you and, you know, becoming abusive because I'm a paranoid schizophrenic and that's just what it is. That's just the life, baby. And so she was like, "Okay, well, if you are, then maybe we can get you some help. So she had him admitted because they were legally married and she could do that. And the county hospital didn't even keep him for 24 hours was just like, you're fine, released him. So he goes up to Mary and he tells her straight up, now that I've had my checkup, it's about time that you have yours, but not at a county hospital. I'm going to take you to a private hospital, a private institution, and you're not coming home until you've had your shock treatments. What is happening? So Mary's like, okay, I don't want to get shock therapy. Like, this is terrifying. Like, this man is evil. Like, what is wrong with him? So she moves out of her house and she starts hiding in the candy shop for six weeks straight. The candy company became a fortress. They would put up these like crazy um, salt bags, like these sugar bags in front of the door because they thought that Walt was going to shoot through the door. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So during all of this, Walt would constantly call, pull in threats, say, I need my wife back. I need this back. But he would also be going on dates during all of this time. So Walt is not only homophobic, but he's a cheater, but he's also like 100% fucking audacity. Like that's all he's got going on. Right. And so, you know, mom and Dean, they would talk on these walkie talkies. They would make sure that she's safe. Like I'm telling you, this is so chaotic. (laughs) Yeah. They would talk on these walkie talkies. They would follow Walt around to see him. So it seems like Mary was upset that he is so scary and violent and abusive but at the same time like she was upset that he was going on dates so they would spy on him they would get into the van they would have these walkie talkies they would follow him around watching him go on these little luncheons these little dinners with these other girlfriends and she'd get so pissed off but at the same time she's like I don't want to stay married to him so I don't know what to do So Walt eventually keeps trying to break into the candy factory. They go to the Houston Police Department and the police department, ta-da, does nothing. They were just like, why don't you go buy a gun if you're so scared? So they did. They went and got a pistol. (laughs) Police say, get a weapon. (laughs) Yeah, the police said, nah, I don't really want to do my job. So like, everybody just get guns. It'll be a better world, they said. <laughs> so they get a pistol. Now, one time, Walt comes and he starts banging on the candy factory door. He's like, let me in. You're going to let me in. And he starts calling Dean some crazy ass names. He's like, you're a queer. And just just so many homophobic slurs, right? And so Mary's just yelling at Dean, get the gun, Dean. Just kill him. Get the gun. Get the gun. Kill him. Kill him. Do something. Shut up. No, straight up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so chaotic do something we have to get rid of him get the gun get the gun kill him just kill him dean kill him and then and dean was like mom no okay geez louise and he shook his head in disapproval you know that was the whole gig and so the candy business it starts falling apart because i mean the whole time they're not making any more candy they're just following around walt in their van with walkie-talkies you know she's threatening to kill him and it's just this whole ordeal mary's mental health was probably in the gutter at this point it just was a lot so dean gets a day job at houston power so the power company in houston and he would come in at night to make more candy and it was just a lot like it was just intense 
Mary ends up divorcing Walt and she goes to her psychic, the same one that she always goes to, the one that said it was astrologically impossible for Dean to be gay because of his birth charts. And she tells her, hey, this is really good that you divorced your husband. He was quite abusive, but you need to get the hell out of Dodge. Like you need to freaking leave. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to you if you stay. You need to go as far away as possible. So she ends up packing all of her things on the advice of this psychic and literally moves to Colorado. She's like, bye. Now she does take Joyce with her I do believe Stanley at this point goes to live with his dad and now Dean she's like okay we'll pack your stuff Dean like we're gonna go to Colorado it's gonna be amazing and he tells her mom I kind of want to stay in Houston I kind of want to figure life out for myself and she's she's pretty pissed like she's like what do you mean like what, what is there in Houston we don't even have the candy company anymore like what are you gonna do in Houston he's like I've got this figured out so I got a full-time job at Houston Lightning and Power and I got my own apartment I think maybe it's good like I'm 28 mom I think it's okay that I kind of figure out how to live on my own. So she's like, okay, well, you have to call me every single day, three times a day. I don't know if she said that, but probably. And he's like, okay, fine. You move. It'll be great. I'm going to do my own thing. Now, a couple of things that people noticed is that by the time that he's 28, everything else about Dean seemed so completely normal. I mean, yes, he did flirt with teenage boys. That's alarming. But back in the day, I guess not that alarming, not as alarming as being gay, probably which is weird because that's that's what people were so shocked about in all of these interviews. They're like, you know, it's crazy. He was gay. And it's like, that's what's crazy in this story. <laughs> like, that's the part that you're going to be like, fucking who would have known? This is crazy. Yeah. So um, the only thing other than all of that that they thought was weird is that, you know, Dean's 28. And anytime anyone asked him like, hey, how old are you? How, how long has it been? He would say, oh, it's you don't need to know. No, really? How old are you? I knew you since you were what? I was 28. You were 14. And now you must be, oh, you must be like 28. And mm-hmm. he would get incredibly sensitive. He'd be like, what, what, why does it matter? Like he would just get so defensive if people found out that he was, you know, itching on 30. A lot of people didn't think it was that strange because, you know, like I said, Mary was also the type of woman that wanted to look a lot younger than she actually was. So they thought, it runs in the family. They're all just kind of weird. They all just want to be super, super young, just like that. So Dean gets his first place, and it was definitely a, a first place. A lot of people call it a shed, not so much an apartment, not so much a house. So he has this little shed, and he really decked it out. Like, he pimped my shed. Remember that van? He did the same thing with his shed. He got rugs. He got TVs all over this shed. I can't imagine how big the shed is, but he had TVs all over the place. He freaking loves TVs. He loves stereos. He had black lights installed. He had an air conditioner unit installed so that during the Houston hot summers, all of these teenage boys would find comfort in his wonderfully air-conditioned shed. Oh, it's about to get bad. He so also, he made yeah. the place cool for kids. So cool. Like if a 30-year-old was living in a place like this, this is the type you'd be like, man, dude, like you got to get it together. Like you're 30. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I'm going to make this like a teenager's dream. Mm. <sighs> Interesting. He also had this little light in his room that would alert him if anyone was outside, which I thought was weird. So it seems like he's a little bit paranoid. Now, Dean did move about five to six times a year. So I'm not going to take you on this whole ass U-Haul tour of Houston, but just know that every time there's something else happening, he's probably in a new place. Now, a lot of people were very, very 
confused by this. Why do you move six times a year? Like your lease isn't even over yet. Like how does this even make sense? A lot of the neighbors said maybe it has to do with his constant parties that he was having with all these teenage boys. They would come over. They would huff paint. They would drink alcohol, underage drinking. Just get, I mean, they would rage on. They would play that stereo and those 10 TVs full on, full, full sound. It's just crazy. But Mary, Mary had a different reason. Mary, the mom, she said, oh, no, that's not why he moved so often. Do you really want to know why he moved? He moved because kids would follow him home. They'd be like, you're the candy man. And they would follow him to his shed and they'd be like, give us some free candy. Can we hang out in your place? Oh, wow, it's air conditioned. Can we watch TV? Can I listen to your stereo? And Dean was so kind and he was such a good big brother that he couldn't kick these kids out. He couldn't say, hey, listen, I'm 30. You're 12. This is wildly inappropriate. You need to get out of my house. He wouldn't even say, hey, I got to go to work. So you need to get out. You need to skedaddle. He would just pack up all of his things and move because he did not want to hurt these kids feelings freaking mary this mom is <laughs> she just comes up with the wildest excuses now now that his family is gone Dean really just embraces his wild side. Like he just feels like he can do whatever he wants. He starts doing more beach trips with these teenage boys. He starts going on like longer trips, like day trips, night trips to South Texas beaches. I mean, that was like his favorite thing. He just hung around these teenage boys. Now enter in a teenage boy. So we're going to briefly talk about David Owen Brooks before he gets injected into Dean's life, right? Now, David Owen Brooks had a very tough upbringing. Like it was just a shit show. So his parents parents were divorced and he would go back from his mom's house in Beaumont and his dad's house in Houston, which is another city, right? Beaumont. And he was bullied a lot, like from everyone, like from the kids at school, his teachers and his own dad, like his dad really, really hated him. His dad thought that he was, and I quote said, you're no son of mine. That was like his favorite thing to say to his son. You are no son of mine. And all of this was because David was a little bit weak. He was a little bit frail. And he wore hippie glasses. He wore glasses because he couldn't see. It wasn't even for style. He was like, I can't see. I am visually impaired. Then he would put these glasses on. So the dad was like, you're not a man. He said, you're a little sissy. That's what he said. Because you can't see. Yeah. So this is like back in the day in Texas where like if, and I'm sure all across the United States too, but like back in the day, dudes, like dads would be like, listen, if you were not tackling 25 people on the football field and telling me about how many bitches you're going to fuck, like you're not a man. Yeah, like it was a weird time back in the day. It's truly weird. It's truly so weird. Truly weird. He would constantly call his own son, you little sissy. Like, what's wrong with you? You're no son of mine. And anytime he would come over, he would be very, very abusive. So David, all of his friends were saying, hey, you hate your dad. Some of us hate our dads. We go to this other dude's house. Oh, my God. So fun. David's like, what? Yeah, it's this guy named Dean. He used to have like this candy shop and I would get free candy from him. And now his place, like he's got TVs, he's got stereos and he lets you huff paint. Yeah, he lets you huff paint. And so David's like, I want to go. What do you you mean? I want to go there. I want to huff paint. What's huffing paint? I want to do it. And so 12 year old David, that's when he meets Dean Coral. When he's 12 and Dean is 28. So huge age gap. Now... They start getting super close. They would constantly go to beaches together. David and Dean were always seen together. If David needed cash, 
Dean would straight up give him cash. Like, it's not even free candy. He'd be like, here is some free dollar bills. Like, here's free money. And David would go around telling everyone, Dean's like a father figure to me. Like, he is the dad that I never had. He would stay at Dean's place. Dad didn't even care. David's dad was like, okay, fine, sissy. Bye. Really rude. (laughs) That's grooming, isn't it? Yes, straight up grooming. And it worked. I'm not saying, like, good, but, like, you know, it worked for Dean. His sick, twisted grooming worked because within two years of knowing each other, now at this point, David is, like, 14, 15 years old, and Dean is, like, 30 years old. Within two years, their relationship turned sexual, and Dean started abusing David. It would all start with, here's some cash, here's a gift, and now take off your pants. Like, that's literally how it went. And so Dean would start performing oral sex on David, and it just kind of escalated more and more, and it seemed like he was holding this money and all of this over David's head. Now, it's really, really difficult because towards the end of the story, you're going to develop a lot of hatred for David, and so did I, but it's just never going to be as intense for the hatred for Dean because David essentially was truly, in the full extent, groomed. Like, I don't even, I mean, it's insane. Think about it. His dad doesn't even care to give him food. His dad doesn't care to make sure that he has clothes, that he has, you know, to just live life, not even to live a successful life, but like, you need food, you need shelter, you need clothes. But Dean, now he's coming in just giving it to him, never making fun of him never saying what's up with those glasses you little sissy never he just treated him like an equal and so david is like i found my person like this is this is my dad really Hmm. and he just started treating him like a dad and if dad tells you to do something a lot of the times what do you do you do it because your parent tells you to do it Mm -hmm. so i mean he was a father figure over david financially emotionally mentally physically even because david would go to his place to stay when his dad was being abusive and he just had david wrapped around his finger now dean is a man who is very very busy meanwhile while he's grooming david and grooming all of these other boys he actually around this time um kills his first known victim so his name is jeffrey conan and he just vanished one day he just up and vanished so he went hitchhiking he's a student from the university of texas and he was like i need to get home to houston like that's where my parents live i need to go so he starts hitchhiking from there he gets to houston he gets dropped off at a specific corner and people remember this and then he was like okay well now i need to get to my family's house so nobody knows exactly what happened but the speculation is that dean picked him up because he actually lived really close to where jeffrey was dropped off in houston like Mm -hmm. around that corner And he picked him up and was like, hey, I can take you to your parents' house. Totally no problem. He was sexually assaulted. He was strangled by a cloth being placed inside of his mouth. He was bound on his hands and his feet. And when the police found his body, get this, he was covered completely in lime. So not like the fruit, but the lime um, that you get from like Home Depot. It helps conceal the odor of decomposition. Uh, Usually it's used for like animals and maybe some construction stuff. Listen, I don't know. I don't really go to Home Depot a lot. Um, But like I know a lot of people use it for illegal stuff so he's he called lime yeah he was covered in lime wrapped in plastic and so nobody i mean the police find his body like this and they're like this is weird this is professional yeah this is professional like all the other serial killers that we've talked about i mean their first murders were messy there was no system there was no you know cohesive thought of i'm gonna get the lime i'm gonna get the plastic i'm gonna bind them like this like this seemed like too experienced so that is why even though jeffrey is his first known victim around this time it's speculated that he probably had a lot more victims prior to this yeah because you're saying that he was digging and digging what was he digging nobody knows they didn't even dig that part up later isn't that crazy so there could still be people in houston 
that are just okay like what's going on yeah. now he's doing this he kills jeffrey conan he's still grooming these boys and he develops an intense relationship with david now david at 15 years old he sees something shocking he walks into dean's apartment one day because he's like listen my dad sucks i'm gonna stay here for the night he walks in doesn't let anyone know and he opens the door to dean's room and dean is butt naked in bed with two naked boys tied up to his bed and he was actively molesting them so David's like, what is happening? And Dean turns around and is like, what are you doing here? So David, he's like shocked. He's scared. He immediately dips out of there. He like runs, makes a U-turn, gets out of there. Now, a couple days later, Dean comes back to him and is like, hey, listen, let's talk about what you saw. Because that was weird, huh? David's like, yeah, that was fucking weird. He's like, come back to my place. Let me just explain. Because I've got an explanation. Like, it looks strange. It looks illegal. It looks weird. But I can assure you it's none of those things. So David goes back to his place and they start talking. And Dean's like, listen. I'm part of a gay pornography ring. That's what I'm doing. This is all for gay pornography. So um, I pay these boys in Houston and we produce some gay porn and then I ship them to California and they're going to produce gay porn against their will. They're going to be like sex slaves to gay porn. <laughs> and David's like, yeah, you're right. It's definitely not as strange as I thought. Like, he just, like, was like, okay, he accepts the idea. Now, a couple days later, Dean comes coming back, and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you about that gay porn thing. So David's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, it wasn't that weird. Like, what's going on? And he says, so I kind of lied about the gay porn thing. That's not actually what happened. And David's like, oh, okay, well, what happened? Yeah, I didn't send them to California because I killed them. And then I buried them in my storage shed. Are you mad at me? <laughs> like, it's just straight up, like, I killed them. The two and boys. What's David's reaction? And David was like, hey, I think I should drop out of high school to spend more time with you. No, but straight up. Like, that's what happens. I don't know what his immediate reaction was because he never mentions. But the next steps is like when David just turns into somebody else. So I rarely get called a genius. And when I do, I um, I take it and I run with it. I run all the way to town with it. And I'm going to tell you about where people call me a genius. It's with ThreadUp. So I have this thing where I decided that I was going to start thrifting in the middle of a pandemic. And I couldn't go to these thrift stores. I couldn't try them on. And then I was like, you know what? There's got to be something online. I looked online. I found the gold mine of thrifting. If you don't know, ThreadUp is one of the world's largest online thrift stores with your favorite brands up to 90% off of estimated retail prices. So you can shop from over 35,000 different brands for women's, kids' clothing, handbags, shoes, and more for so much less. You get the same insane deals of thrifting with the convenience of online shopping. You can get Madewell, J. Crew for $9 and Nike for $6. And today you can get an extra 30% off your first order at threadup.com slash rotten. And some of them, they still have their tags on. They also have an easy return policy, so they make thrifting worry-free. Especially now that we're in like the era of zoom meetings and sometimes i vlog and i like to wear affordable clothing so that i can you know try on new pieces for videos or try on new pieces for zoom meetings but i don't have to spend so much money get the style you love at a fraction of the price you'll look and feel good with thread up and for rotten listeners here's an exclusive offer just for you get an extra 30 percent off your order at threadup.com slash rotten that's t-h-r-e-d-u-p.com slash rotten for 30 percent off your first order that's threadup.com slash rotten for an extra 30% off today for the people in the back. So Dean tells him the truth. He has this storage shed. He buried the two bodies there. To this day, those two victims have never been identified. We don't know who they are. But they did find remains. Yes. So it's kind of like, okay, 
you know? It's a little interesting. Now, David drops out of high school to spend more time with Dean. And for David's 16th birthday, Dean's like, listen, I got you. This is your sweet 16. And he bought him a green Corvette. Corvette, Corvette, straight up. Wow. What? Where is he getting all these money from? I don't know. He's not doing candy shop no more. No, right? he's doing the Houston Lightning and Power. Lightning, okay. Light and Power. <laughs> okay. And so, I mean, it obviously made everyone at school super jealous because David is now driving around in a vet, is but what everyone said. But that's grooming, right? You're using yes, money yeah. and buying them toys. And it's also like kind of like organized crime, like buying silence. Yeah, like you're like, but now it's you not buying silence. Yeah. It's like he's like basically manipulating mm-hmm. her, him, right? Especially when you're 16. Who yeah. doesn't want a green Corvette? And everyone was jealous. And they said that David just rode up and down in his car. He wasn't somebody that anyone hung out with or wanted to hang out with because he wasn't really that nice. He didn't really talk that much. You just see him driving around the neighborhood in his little green vet. That's what people said. It sounds a little jealous to me, but we'll continue on. So at this point, he offers to pay David. He says, what do you think about a salary, David? David's like, that'd be nice. I mean, I dropped out of high school. I don't have a job. Like, yeah, I want a salary. He's like, I will pay you $200 for any boy that you can lure into my apartment. So in today's money, that's about $1,300. So $1,300. That's a lot of money to a... a lot um, of money. 16, 17 Especially um, David was from an area called Houston Heights, which is not really the best area at the time so they came from poverty his family wasn't that rich Mm -hmm. so this is a ton of money so the first murders that david participates in are two of his friends he brings in jimmy glass who is a son of an engineer a really popular kid actually he was known for wearing um, leather jackets with like fringes on the sleeve and everyone really loved him he had this like thick long hair styled and girls just like went crazy over that long hair they were like your long hair is so cool jimmy and he had another friend by the name of danny yates who was the son of an electrician he was also popular um he had a girlfriend named betty and betty said that she still keeps a picture of danny in her jewelry box even though she's remarried she's like an old lady now she She's got kids because this was like her first love. And they had their first kiss in the laundry room of the apartment complex that they shared. And it just you just don't forget a moment like that. That's what Betty said. So these two boys, they get lured in by David. They're 14 years old and they were at a church and they just got up in the middle of the service, walked down the aisle, went to the restroom. And I think maybe they had left the church and maybe David and Dean had driven up in their little Corvette and was like, hey, you want to get in the car? And they went to Dean's place. Now, immediately when Jimmy and Danny run away, I mean, these are these are not troublemakers. Not that that would matter, but these are 14 year old little boys. So they immediately go to the police. The families are like, police, you need to help us. Houston Police Department, like do something. What do we do? What do we do? And the police said, I really think that they are runaways because we looked into it. We asked some people and Jimmy. Jimmy, the one with the long hair, right? He had arguments with his dad. Is that not true? We heard from a lot of sources that you guys fought over his hair all the time. You wanted him to cut his hair, but he never wanted to cut his hair. So he probably ran away so that he didn't have to cut his hair. And, you know, Danny, uh, someone said that they saw him at like a little shed, abandoned shed that nobody goes to, like a runaway place for rebels to go to. So pretty sure that's an accurate source. I mean, it was an anonymous tip, but pretty accurate so we're just gonna go with it we're not gonna investigate they're like what do you what do you mean you're not gonna investigate i mean there's just no signs of foul play they left from a church they left together i mean 
Come on, guys. Now, at this point, Danny's older sister remembers that they were talking about a man who gave them rides to a movie theater and bought them tons of beer. And they were kind of like talking about it, like, isn't that crazy? Like he's over age, like he's, you know, 30 and he's buying us beer like, ooh, free beer. Mm -hmm. And later she realized the description matched Dean Coral. But that's not during the time of yeah. investigation. But even when she told the police, like, there's some guy who, like, bought them beer. Uh, they're like, okay. That just confirms that they're the types to run away. They're underage drinking. 14-year-olds drinking beer. I mean, what kind of family is this? So how are you raising your kids? So the police would constantly tell the family. They probably hitchhiked to California to, like, join a cult. Like, that was big back in the day. Like, the hippie movement, cults. They're in a cult in California. Call Charles Manson. Like, we don't know anything about your son. And the families are like, what? What do you mean? That's it? Yep, that's it. If we ever see them, we'll tell them to go back to school. They didn't even say, we'll call you. We'll tell them to come home. We'll bring them home immediately. So the families, they start falling apart. They started posting flyers every single day. They placed ads in the paper writing directly. So Jimmy's family wrote directly into the newspaper saying, Jimmy, we will buy you a motorcycle if you come home. Please, Jimmy, we'll do anything that you want if you come home. Danny's dad got a random tip that Danny was in Mexico and drove all the way to Mexico and just searched around in a country that he doesn't know. Because he was like, I heard my son's here. Danny's sister said that um, Danny's dad eventually just fell apart. Like he he believed he ran away because he was too hard on him. And he was like, I shouldn't have yelled at him for this or that or this. And like side note, it gets really sad because um, the parents of Jimmy, they identify him initially because he was buried right next to his beloved leather jacket. And he was decomposed too much to actually get it like a facial ID. So those were the first murders that David participated in. And then a few weeks later, there was Donald and Jerry Waldrop. So they are brothers. And Dean and David were just driving around and they spot these two brothers. So Donald is 15. Jerry is 13. And they were on their way to a bowling alley. And Dean was like, hey, like, let's get in the car. Like, I got some weed. I got some. We can have paint. We can do all of these things. I'm going to have a party at my house. So typically that was his like whole gig. He would offer them a either to a party or to get them some illegal substances and he would drive them to his house now i'm gonna give you dean's mo right now so this gets really really brutal if you just want to skip ahead because if you don't like torture especially torture against children this is not going to be a fun time i mean it's not going to be a fun time either way but you get the idea so once they get to dean's place the mo is this they're either given tons of alcohol or and or other drugs and they pass out or they get tricked into wearing handcuffs how how you ask just like John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy actually said that he was inspired by the Houston mass murders. By this guy. Yeah. John Wayne Gacy gets caught like three, four years after this guy. And he legit say, I was inspired yeah. by this dude. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he would do the handcuff trick, which is he would show himself putting on his handcuffs and then he had the key in his pocket. He would take it out and undo it and no one would know because it's behind his back. And then he'd say, hey, kid, isn't that so cool? Like I, I just magically took the handcuff off. Why don't you try? I'll teach you how to do it, how to get out of handcuffs without the key. So then the kid unknowingly would put their own handcuffs on their own hands, bind themselves. And now they're like, how do I do it? How do I get out of these handcuffs? And now you've just handcuffed this kid. Then he would drag them to his bed and tie them up because he had one of those like um, poster board beds. Do you know what I mean? With the sticks at the all four corners. And he would either tie them up or he had his infamous torture board. It was an eight foot long, two feet wide with holes in each corner and handcuffs. So the hands would be cuffed to the holes on the corners. It was just plywood, like the wood that you get at Home Depot. Mm -hmm. Just a tall wood. Yeah. 
Okay. And um, your hands would be cuffed to each corner. Your feet would be tied up with nylon rope through the bottom holes of the corners. So you would just be like an X symbol on this torture board. And sometimes, well, a lot of the times he would have two victims at once and he would tie them to the opposite sides of the torture board. And they would be sexually assaulted, beaten, and tortured. And a lot of the times he would torture them for days. One of his favorite methods of torture was um, he would like to pluck pubic hair from these young boys one by one. So either using his fingers or pliers, he would individually pluck out the child's pubic hair. That's what? Yeah. Some reportedly passed out from the pain, but a lot of the times, most of them were entirely awake for this super slow, very strange, very torturous you know procedure that's insane that sounds like like sadism yeah yeah he's getting a lot of those and then there was it gets worse the glass rods what is it so the police found a ton of little glass rods and when they talked to the accomplices they found out that he would insert glass rods into the urethra of the victim's penis it's a long thin glass rod and then once it's inserted he would smash it so there would just be glass inside just like smashed glass. And allegedly this was his preferred method of torture. Um, police also found 18-inch double-sided dildos inside of his place. Um, it was said that he was into inserting objects into people's rectums as a form of torture. Now, according to one of the accomplices, one victim upset Dean so much that he gnawed off his gen- genitals while he was locked up on the torture board. So they later did find in the boat shed um, two plastic bags of a severed penis and testicles in each one, and they were almost perfectly preserved for whatever reason. And the torture was bad. Um, when they found the victim's bodies, one of them, the victim's mouth was open so wide that all of their upper and lower teeth were visible. And all of the coroners were like, okay, well, how could this be? Like, how do you find yourself passing away in this exact situation, right? Were they tied up like that? And investigators came to the conclusion that the boy had died while screaming. So he also had a torture van. So the torture van, the rear windows of the van had these thick blue curtains and inside he had rope. He had a pegboard of a wall, you know, inside the van. And that was rigged with several rings and hooks. So it looked like straight up an abduction van, like he could tie people up to that pegboard. He had a wooden crate with air holes drilled and a beige rug covered in soil stains. So the wooden crate, a lot of people said that it was to transport bodies to their burial sites, but there's air holes. So the police theorized that they, the kids were tortured inside these crates too. Maybe they were locked up there and then he would take them out to torture them and then place them back in these crates. He had binoculars, like the things that you look far from binoculars Mm -hmm. he had a portable two-way radio and inside of his home he had another torture box this one was smaller than a coffin and they just found a bunch of nylon rope inside with air holes and a bunch of hair like victims hair some of the accomplices hair so he probably did keep his victims alive for prolonged periods of time now his next mo would that would be that he would make these kids write letters back home before he kills them why? So they would usually say things like, I'm running away, like I don't really love oh. you. Or they would say things like, oh, I found a job in Austin and I'll be back in a couple of months. And then eventually they would be murdered. So they were either strangled or shot. So he, the accomplices said that he liked strangling. It was his preferred method. It was slow and painful. That's what they said. The gunshots, uh, he would leave them to bleed out. A lot of the times they would not be shot in a way that they instantly die. So he would just sometimes leave them in the bathtub to just bleed out. And oftentimes he would continue to molest them while they bleed out from their gunshot wound. So this is why I'm confused he's not talked about. I know it's like really intense details for a lot of people to swallow, even for me. And I've been so into true crime for so long. But 
I mean, it's crazy that so many kids fall victim to this evil man and we're just like, but like, what did mm-hmm. the Night Stalker do? Not comparing, but it's just, it's crazy how no one really talks about this case as much. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the wall drop dad. So both of his sons are missing and he starts freaking out. He's like, you know, both my sons are gone. Like, what do I do? What do I do? Where's my sons? Now, David testified to seeing Coral strangle both of those boys and they were later buried in the boat shed. So they had passed. They'd been murdered. Now, the wall drop dad, he's a construction worker and he starts freaking out. He goes to the police station and here's the crazy thing. The boys lived half a mile away from where Jimmy and Danny disappeared. So Mm. you would think that the police would put two and two together, but they were like, oh, your kids are a runaway. They told him that your kids both collectively ran away together. So the dad camped outside the police like station for months. He said that he was there as much as the chief was. And the chief would always look at him and say, why are you here? You know, your boys are runaways. Insane. So later the Waldrop family, they get a call. And it was like, hey, I don't know if this has anything to do with your sons. I heard you guys are looking for your sons. But I saw someone who looked like, um, God, what's his name? The guy that like had the candy shop with his mom, the weird mom, the one that always wore for her. Yeah, I, he was like burying something in like a boat shed that he has. And someone said it looked like, my kids said it looked like bodies. But, you know, kids, they're weird. But maybe you should look into it. So they immediately call the police department and they're like, oh, we think we know what happened to our sons. And they do just a super stupid search. They go out to the boat shed and they just look around and they say, eh, it's nothing. It's a hoax. That's what they said. They I didn't question even, if, he, if they even went. When, I right? don't even think so. Yeah. So then Randall Harvey disappears. Now this is the eighth victim. He's 15 years old. He's riding his bike to work at a gas station. And David knew Randall. They, they were friends and probably persuaded him to get into Dean's car and ride with them to Dean's place. Or maybe he was going to take them to the gas station. But he was taken to Dean's apartment where he, you know, was tortured and placed into Dean's short storage shed. Then there was Mally Winkle. So these are two boys walking to the neighborhood swimming pool. And this gets really intense. Gregory Mally Winkle. He goes by Mally. He's 16 years old. And he actually used to work at the Carol's Candy Factory. He used to be an employee there. He only had amazing things. He wasn't like Jimmy where he's like, oh, I'm really scared of this guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he only had amazing things to say about his former boss. His mom used to work there, too. Isn't that insane? Like she had a part time job there. And Mally was a super sweet kid. So for Mother's Day, I mean, their entire family is struggling. He would grab, he would save up all of his money and he wrote her a card for Mother's Day. Dear Mother, this $10 bill, well, five of it is for your Mother's Day gift, not for bills, but for something that you want. Spend it on yourself. This $5 doesn't come out of the money that I owe you. I still owe you $25. This is your Mother's Day gift. P.S. I didn't know what to buy you. I love you. That's shared by the mom. And he was with his best friend, David Hillengeist, who is 14 years old. And he actually went to the candy store a lot. His mom actually had to go to the candy store multiple times to be like, stop hanging out here. This man has work to do. Like you're intruding on people's business. Jeez, I'm so sorry, Dean. Like, oh, I'll, I'll take care of it. And she would drag her son, David, away. And they, too, were strangled and buried in the shed. Now, the police... The police don't investigate this disappearance at all. So Mally Winkle, he actually called his mom the night that he disappeared and let her know that she was he was going to go swimming with some friends at a local beach town. And the police were like, well, that means he ran away to the local beach town. Oh, my God. Why would he call you if he's getting kidnapped? I mean, obviously, if someone killed him or someone kidnapped him or any sort of foul play, he couldn't call you, could he? 
So yeah. David H.'s parents were really confused because they were going on vacation tomorrow. And David H. was looking for it. He packed his clothes. He took out his allowance. He took out $20. And he was like, I'm going to spend this on the trip for whatever I want. Why would he? Why would mm-hmm. he run away? Like he all he did for the past month has been talking about this vacation. And now you're saying he ran away. So both families, they print a ton of flyers. They put up a $1,000 reward for anyone who knows the whereabouts of these children. And David H.'s parents, the Hillengeist, they borrowed money to hire a private investigator. And the PI did some digging and they told them that um, they were adopted by a guy by the name of Chicken Joe. And it's Chicken Joe is a guy who provides male prostitutes to male clients. And he has kidnapped the two boys and is trying to sell them, you know, make them like pimp them out, essentially. David H.'s mom gets another tip from someone that they saw David H. get into a Plymouth GTX once. And maybe he was friends with the owner. It looked like he knew the owner. They even have the license plate. So they gave it to David H.'s mom and she gives it to the police. If they looked into it, she would have realized it's Dean Coral. So looking back in the memory, if they had known, if the police had known that this is Dean Quarles' vehicle, mm-hmm. David H.'s mom would have had red flags go off because she distinctly remembers one point where she asked Dean if he could just kick David out, like David H. out of the candy factory because she just doesn't feel comfortable that he's always here. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, it's probably because, you know, his best friend is Mally and he works here and so does Mally's mom. And he just probably wants to hang out with his best friend. And she just thought it was weird. She just doesn't know how to explain it. Just thought it was a little weird. Mm -hmm. Now, David H.'s family, they spent all of their money plus borrowed money, went into debt for a private investigator. And then eventually when that didn't pan out, they started hiring psychics. So the first psychic told them that he was dead and they didn't believe that. They were like, we don't believe you at all. So they go to another one and they said, ah, you know, we can't see your son, but we see Mally and Mally is in jail. And I think I think David H is in Dallas with him in jail, like somewhere near jail. Maybe he's not in jail, but he's he's there. He's in the vicinity. It's a jail in Dallas. So they drove all the way to Dallas couldn't find anything. And then another one said that David H is lying in a hospital with amnesia, facing a window towards the south with a pathetic look on his face. That's what they said. And I quote. And so they kept calling every single hospital that they could get their, you know, hands Mm -hmm. on. Now, what makes this even more sad is this was back in the day where you get charged for every call that you make. And it's not like a phone plan where you're like, oh, I can make unlimited calls and text. So they were just really driving themselves more into debt. And then there was another one that was like, oh, he's just roaming around in Bourbon Street in New Orleans. So they went all the way to New Orleans and they could not find their son, David H., anywhere. Then they get a tip that an ex-convict, someone who just got released from jail, was bragging about how he knew where the boys were. Like there was... You know, there's a reward for the boys at this time. And she's like, well, why, why wouldn't he tell me? Mm-hmm. So um, they all warned the parents, you know, the Helen guys, be careful. He is armed. He's dangerous. And he's upset at people like the, the felon. Yeah, the felon. Mm-hmm. And so the tiny little mom, Mrs. H, she walks to the door, knocks on it and says, do you know where my son is? Mm-hmm. And he invites her in. And she said he actually turned out to be nice and he didn't really know anything. But after he got released from prison, everyone in the neighborhood acted like he was just the most disgusting criminal alive. And they always assumed if something went missing, it was him. If something happened, it was him. And so he just said it out of anger and he feels really bad. Oh, 
Yeah, and wow. so she was like, it's okay. So then Mrs. H left, and then there were all the prank calls from other children. People from all over Houston would prank call this poor family after seeing their poster and say, hey, I want half the $1,000. And she would straight up ask, do you know what my son David H. looks like? And they would say, not really. And then they would just hang up the phone. So the police find out that the family gets a PI involved. And they don't really like that. So they do a deep dive into the PI, open an investigation, and find out that the private investigator that was working with the the family, which, by the way, this private investigator, he was such a nice person. Even when the family ran out of funds, he would just keep going. Mm -hmm. Like, he and Mr. H, they would stay up for, like, 72 hours at a time just tracing down leads. And even Mr. H was like, hey, like, (laughs) this isn't your son. Like, you should just take a nap. I'll drive. You know, you just close your eyes. And he'd say, sure, sure. But he would just be eyes dead on the road, like ready to search for David with him. And the police is investigating him? Yeah, found out that he had an expired license, brought him to court and prosecuted him for driving without an ex- with a, without a license. This is insane. Yeah, the Houston Police Department actually spent thousands of dollars prosecuting the private investigator, whereas they spent no money looking into where David Hillengeist is. How does that even add up? Yeah. Oh, it's gonna get. I thought at first I thought like they're just bored. Though they're they're just lazy. They don't want to do anything. No, but But he's like, I'm gonna go after this guy. Oh yeah, yeah. He said I'm gonna go after him for sure. Get some money out of this expired license, mother forker. What a criminal! So my sister just recently had a kid and I got her a new necklace that I'm really, really proud of. I got her a necklace from Anna Luisa. It's their mama necklace. It's so cute. It's this gold 14 karat plated necklace and it says mama on there. Anna Luisa is a jewelry brand that I've been using for like three years that I've been wearing their stuff. They are a carbon neutral jewelry brand. They offset 100% of their carbon emissions, starting with the sourcing of their raw material all the way down to the disposal of their pieces. Here's a cool thing. They have limited batches, which ensures the highest production standards while they eliminate excessive waste. They also have a 365 day warranty to replace or refund any piece that doesn't meet the expectations. Jewelry starts at $39 with no luxury markup. I have so many of their pieces. I've gifted them as friendship bracelets. A lot of the necklaces that I have, they look incredibly dainty, but I never worry about, ooh, if I accidentally tug on it while I'm like, you know, brushing my hair, is it going to snap off? Check out their website and go treat yourself and your loved ones with a unique gift and get 10% off at annaluisa.com slash rotten that's a-n-a-l-u-i-s-a dot com slash rotten i absolutely recommend them they're a great brand and they make beautiful sustainable jewelry so go check out annaluisa.com that's a-n-a-l-u-i-s-a dot com slash rotten for the people in the back And so nothing gets resolved and the neighborhood kids start getting involved and they're all like, okay, like we'll help put around flyers. Like we'll keep on the lookout because obviously the police aren't doing anything. Now intro in the next assistant, Elmer Wayne Henley. Now he was one of these kids. He lived half a block away from um, David H. And he went to the Hillengeist house and he said, can I get some posters? I'd love to put them around Houston Heights for you guys. Mm -hmm. He grabbed a stack of posters and started putting them up. He'd actually been friends with David Hillengeist since they were super young, like Mm -hmm. childhood friends. Mm -hmm. And the way that people describe Elmer. Okay, let me give you his little backstory, right? Mm -hmm. So who the heck is Elmer Wayne Henley? Well, he had an incredibly rough childhood, like way worse than David Brooks. It's not a competition, but it was rough. Like his dad was an alcoholic and he would physically assault his wife and children all the time you know so Mm -hmm. his dad was a shit dad and there is a neighborhood legend that it's a legend because elmer says it's true by the way 
Side note, a lot of people, he goes by Wayne because his name is Elmer Wayne Henley. Mm -hmm. But I think Wayne is too cool of a name. So we're going to call him Elmer's Glue. We're going to call him Elmer. Um, so Elmer, um, the legend has it that he waited, the dad waited outside for them to come home because they were late. So mom and Elmer are walking down and they get to the house. They're walking down the driveway and he tried to shoot his wife in the head, but missed him and barely missed Elmer, his own son. And he just went back into the house and was like, all right, we'll fucking come on time next time. And this was a very traumatic experience. Everyone that knew Elmer growing up, they said that he was either on drugs, alcohol, whatever. It's like super pimply face. He tried really hard or at least it felt like he was trying really hard to like be a good person but it just wasn't working is mm -hmm. the type of vibe people were getting like it's weird because they said it didn't seem like he was necessarily evil evil from the mm -hmm. get-go it just something was off about him so when elmer turns 14 years old his parents get a divorce and the mom gets custody of all four sons now she's like how do i take care of all of these kids especially these sons i mean sons eat a lot like these dudes they be eaten right and i put food on the table this is really difficult so elmer he decides okay i'm gonna stop going to high school and i'm gonna start making money so mm -hmm. he starts getting these odd jobs they're not making a lot of money he starts burglarizing homes and that's how he starts making money and elmer's mom surprisingly was um pretty loving but also pretty strict so anytime kids would come over she would turn it into like a tsa checkpoint so like the front door would be the tsa checkpoint she would pat them down and make sure that they're not bringing any quote grass into their house like weed so i don't know how elmer turned out like this and elmer would carry around his bible all day they said that you wouldn't see him without it for the you know first couple, like his early teenage years. Now, while in high school, he had actually made some friends, David Brooks being one of his really, really close friends. And at this point, David Brooks is already groomed. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. he's in high school, right? Yeah. So above 15, yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, David and Elmer had a good relationship. David had actually introduced Elmer to Dean multiple times. And Elmer thought Dean was, like, the coolest person ever. He was, like, he's got this crazy work ethic. He He's always, like, nicely dressed and, like, smart and clean cut. And any time I ask him a question, he explains it to me. He doesn't treat me like I'm stupid or like I'm this little troublemaker, or like a high school dropout. Like, he just sits there and explains explains life to me like he's just he's he's like experienced life mm. yeah he's just a cool dude like i can see why david brooks is like you know hanging out with him all the time side note elmer assumed that dean was gay and he thought that david hung out with dean a lot because he was and i quote hustling himself a queer so elmer's like oh my friend david is hanging around dean so much to like get money out of him because he knows that he's gay so that was like the whole setup, right? They had actually um, done some crime together, actually. So at one point, Dean says, hey, you ever heard about organized theft? We can go find a couple addresses and burglarize their homes. It'll be fun. So all three of them, you've got Dean, David and Elmer, this new trio. They went around burglarizing homes and Elmer made a small cut. And on one occasion, Elmer says that Dean asked him, are you willing to kill for money? Uh -huh. And he was just like, yeah, I'm willing to do anything. Like, I'm a bad bitch. Like, he just responded in, like, a very generic, like, I'm a tough kid. What are you talking about? I'm so tough. You don't even know tough. I'm tough. And Dean was like, okay, sounds good. So, anyways, this same Elmer that knows Dean and David Brooks, uh -huh. he just, you know, goes to the house and is like, can I get some posters? It seemed like he genuinely went in with the intention because he cared. This is his childhood friend. Uh -huh. So, he's putting up these posters and he's like, man, there's been like, I feel like a lot of my friends have gone missing. Like, I don't know what's going on. People just always talk about boys going missing. So, he's putting up these posters. The family said that he was incredibly helpful and he's uh -huh. just doing his own thing. Now, more go more boys go missing. First, 
we have Reuben Watson Hanley. This is now the 11th victim. He was 17 years old. He was friends with David Brooks. He was walking home from the movies and he was told that there was going to be a crazy party at Dean's place. Get in the car, loser. Like it's going to be the funnest party ever. So he gets into the car and he too was strangled, buried in the boat shed. Then we have two more victims. David helped uh, Dean abduct two teenage boys. They were kept alive for four days while they were tortured and their identity still remains unknown. And meanwhile, the cops are like, they're all running away. Yeah, they're all running away. So Elmer officially becomes part of Dean's crew at this point. Oops. So then one day, David Brooks goes up to Elmer and says, Hey, you should really come to Dean's place with me tonight. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a crazy party. Now, a lot of people suspect that Elmer was actually going to be the next victim. Yeah, that's what I was asking, wondering, why didn't they do anything to him? Yeah, so this was like their chance, you know, they're like, come to this party, they were following the same MO, we're going to be huffing pain, there's going to be alcohol, there's going to be weed, it's going to be such a good time, Elmer, we know you're going to enjoy yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And Elmer comes, but for some reason... Dean decided to not go through with it. He saw something in Elmer. He was like, I feel like Elmer's kind of cool. I kind of like this guy. And he told them all about the kidnappings. He didn't tell them that he killed them. He told them, oh, yeah, I've been kidnapping all these boys in Houston Heights because I'm operating a white slavery ring operating out of Dallas in California. So we get these little white boys and we sell them to Dallas or California. And there is um, they're either sold into just like sex slavery you know, the gay pornography ring, all of that jazz. Wait, so he told this to Elmer. Elmer. Yeah, and David's like sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But David knew damn well yeah. they're all dead. Yeah. Okay. But he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Dean's like, isn't that cool? And Elmer's like, oh, you ki- you kidnap my friends to like sell them to sex slavery? I mean, I guess that's pretty cool. He was like totally fine with it. And he said, hey, you know what would make this even crazier? Why don't you work for us? I can give you $200, which is about $1,300 in today's money, for every boy that you can bring me so that I can sell them to this sex slavery ring. At first, Elmer claims that he was like, no, I don't want to do this. Like, what do you mean? Like, sex slavery? Like, that sounds that sounds bad. That doesn't sound good. That can't be positive. And so for a couple of months, he didn't do anything. He didn't really talk to Dean or his friend David Brooks. And just they went about town. He constantly saw them hanging out together still. And then finally, he said he came under, quote, dire financial circumstances. So I don't know what that means. But he was just like, I really need some money. So he contacts Dean and David Brooks and says, listen, I want to do this. Like, I need to do this. What do I do? So then we have Elmer's first job, his first participation in the murder. They get into the car together and they start driving around Houston Heights which what makes this story even crazier is Houston Heights is like two by three like mile area that they were kidnapping these boys from so it's not even like this massive town it wasn't like fucking Houston boys are going missing in Houston it was like Houston two Heights three this miles? like small little area inside of Houston wow yeah and so they see a teenage boy they s- lure him into the car they're like we're gonna have weed at the house like it's gonna be crazy and so the teenage boy being a teenage boy was like oh that sounds fun and you guys are teenagers teenagers i mean there's this old dude but like you guys are teenagers that's cool he gets into the car they go back to dean's and elmer helps con the teen into putting on those handcuffs the whole handcuff game you know Mm. he had learned about all of this he's like this is fun just put on the handcuffs i can teach you how to get out of it so the teen puts on the handcuffs and then elmer watched dean jump on top of him tie his feet together put tape over his mouth and then elmer left He just left. He was like, okay, well, my job is done. And he claims 100%. He believes to this day 
that this first job, when he left that day, he thought that this guy was just being sold into a sex slavery ring. No big deal. Just being sold, just being human trafficked, but no big deal. I don't know how this is a defense. He got paid the $200 the next day. So Elmer starts participating in all of the killings. So the trio are now like this little thing. Everyone sees them around Houston Heights, always driving around in either the Plymouth GTX or like the van or the Corvette, right? Mm -hmm. And they see a guy by the name of Frank. And Frank is 18 years old. He's actually a really, really good friend of Elmer's. And he works at a restaurant. He was on his way to work. He has a fiance. Oh, my God. This becomes important later. The fiance comes intertwined into this entire story. This is one of those serial killings that's not random. It's like everyone's connected. Yeah. And they have no problem, like, taking their best friend. Yeah. I think it's insane. So Elmer is like, hey, why don't we pick you up after your night shift and we can come to Dean's place and we're going to smoke weed and it's going to be a fun time. So Frank is like, okay, that sounds good. So they pick him up after his shift is over at the restaurant and they play the infamous handcuff game. They said, hey, let's see who can get out of the pair of handcuffs. Dean does it. It works. He passes that and the key to Elmer. Elmer does it. It works. Then he passes it to David Brooks. It works. So they're like, hey, Frank, you try it now and we can teach you. So he puts on the cuffs and Dean drags him into the bedroom, secures him to the torture board where he was tortured, raped, and strangled. And all three of them take his body to bury it at a high island beach. Do the two boys do anything to to the victims? David Brooks only lures them and assists in the burial. Elmer will eventually do things. And um, this is when Elmer learns the truth. You know, the victim has Frank has just been strangled, tortured, raped. And now we're burying his body in Highland Beach. He's like, what what, what do you mean? I thought just what are you doing? Like, I thought we were going to sell them to sex slavery. Like this is this is crossing the line. You know, human trafficking is fine, but I didn't sign up for murder. Like, what is this? What is this? And he says, oh, this is just what I do. Dean's like, what do you mean? This is what I do. You really thought I was selling them? (laughs) You're so stupid. Also, the last one that you brought me, I killed him too. Oh, and your childhood friend, David Hillengeist? No, I didn't sell him. I killed him. I buried him in my boat shed with his little friend, Mally Winkle. Wow. And his reaction was? Well, we have his own quote. It says, a day or so later, I found out that Dean had killed the boy. I found out that Dean screwed him in the ass before killing him. And he was just like, okay. And he moved on. He just like didn't really care. He still continued to go on with it. The identity and the remains of the victim still have not been found. Of that first victim that he brought. The first teenage boy that he thought was being sold to sex slavery. Then we have less than a month later, another victim. So the, like most serial killers, but this time so fast, the murders will just ramp up. And there will be way, way less time in between. Um, It's later said that they said, if we brought Dean a boy every day, like that would keep him content. It was really bad. So less than a month later, another victim, Mark Scott. Elmer brings his good friend, good friend, Mark Scott, to a party at Dean's place. So that's great. Now, this is really sad because Mrs. Scott, Mark Scott's mom, actually said that Elmer was um, like really nice. Like she really liked Elmer. One time they had a party at the Scott place and he was the last to leave and he just really enjoyed being around people. He seemed nice and everyone thought they got along. So anyway, 17 year old Mark Scott goes to Dean's place and he was forced to write a postcard to his family. So this is very similar to a lot of the other victims, but it says, how are you doing? I am in Austin for a couple of days. I found a good job. I'm making $3 an hour. Sorry for not telling you, but it was a good opportunity. 
And then like, I'll be back soon. Da, 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 da. Now, the parents, when they get this, they're in disbelief. They're like, what do you mean? Like, he didn't even take the one thing for years. He had been begging us for Mark Scott had been begging us for a motorcycle. We got him a motorcycle. Now you're telling me he went to Austin for a job, didn't take his beloved motorcycle that he just like polishes every day, like sits on all day, just like wants to ride all day. Like, Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Now, according to David Brooks, what happened to Mark was like really bad. So while they were trying to tie up Mark's hands, he grabbed the knife. Mark Scott, the victim, grabbed the knife and started stabbing at Dean, but it just did not go far. So it caught his shirt, barely broke any skin on Dean's chest, like just a small little, little, you know, scratch. Mm-hmm. Now, Dean starts wrestling with him. Elmer runs and gets a pistol from the other room. And it was like, Mark, you better stop. So he's pointing the pistol at his good friend, Mark. Mm-hmm. And David Brooks said that Mark just gave up from there and he was tied up to the torture board, tortured and raped. And this time he was strangled with a nylon cord by Elmer and Dean and buried at High Island Beach. So they start burying bodies at High Island Beach because the boat shed is like just packed. packed. So then we have the next victims. We have Billy Balch and Johnny DeLone. So Billy is 17 and Johnny is 16. Billy actually used to sell candy door to door for the candy store. So he's another employee of the Coral Candy Factory. Now, little Billy Balch really liked Dean. When he was young, he really, really loved Dean. I mean, he even told his parents about him. The shed that Dean first lived in after his mom moved to Colorado was across the street from the Balch family. And he came home running one day and was like, oh my gosh, guys, so you'll never guess what happened, mom dad like guess what guess what dean dean moved across the street and they're like what wait who is dean again and they're like remember i used to like sell candy like i i am so excited like i can't believe he's living there and mrs balch was like well why are you so excited that he's living there like he's a full-grown man like what are you you're 16 he's like freaking 30 like what are you doing and he says no like he loves having us around like we watch the stereo we watch tv we you know he shows us cool things one time he showed us handcuffs and we play these little games with the handcuffs and the mom tells the dad now mr balch he's an ex-cowboy so he doesn't Mm -hmm. fuck around Mm -hmm. he's listening to this and he's like that's weird Nope, that's weird. That's not normal for an old man to be playing games with little boys with handcuffs. Like, that's weird. So they banned Billy um, and their little brother, Tony. So mm-hmm. Billy has a little brother that loves Dean Coral too. And they were like, boys, you are permanently banned from going to that shed. Right. And they were super sad. I wonder what he did when, when this was all found out. Like, it just kind of destroyed that little community. Because oh yeah it's such a small community no we're gonna get into all of that too because it it goes so deep there's so much into it wasn't even that community it's like the gay community too everyone just got destroyed by this well i want to say one but these three evil people like everyone in houston was destroyed by this i mean houston itself was called like murder city because this at the time this became the number one like serial killer i don't want to say serial killer but the worst case of a serial killer in u.s history yeah they were leaving billy balch's house to go buy sodas and they were lured into dean coral's car because imagine it's like you know these people you know david brooks you know elmer you know dean you used to work for dean you love dean dean has always been just so sweet to you he always gives you free candy he cares about you why would anything be weird about this Mm -hmm. so they get into the car and david brooks claims that around this time is when elmer the other associate becomes sadistic so while both billy and john were tied to dean's bed so both those little boys that were kidnapped tied to dean's bed they were tortured they were assaulted and elmer started strangling billy balch with his bare hands and screamed hey johnny because johnny was trying to look away 
because, you know, his friend is getting strangled and he shot Johnny in the head. Now, Johnny was still alive. So Elmer goes over and starts manually strangling him while little Johnny says, Wayne, please don't. So they two were buried at High Island Beach. Now, 14 months later, they will actually abduct Tony Balch, which is um, Billy Balch's little brother. Oh, my God. Who is on his way to get a haircut. So the Balch family, I mean, they're freaking out. Billy Balch's family is full on freaking out. At this point, Tony has not been abducted, but Billy has been abducted, you know, Mm -hmm. and they start freaking out. And of course, they actually thought of Dean. The Balch family thought of Dean Coral, not because they thought Dean was nasty and like did something, but they thought that, oh, well, he hangs around kids. We think he's weird for sure, but we don't think he kidnapped our kids. But maybe those kids that he hangs around has any idea of what happened to our kids. You know, kids talk to kids. They don't talk to adults, but maybe they talk to Dean. Mm -hmm. So they ask around all their neighbors and finally they're able to get Dean's phone number and they talk to Dean and they said that he's sympathetic. He's polite. He says, I haven't seen Billy or his friend Johnny, but I'll check around and I'll call you if I learn anything anything if they did run away maybe i can find a way for them to contact you guys and let them know that they're okay and they, the family was so grateful now tony balch the little brother he was getting really stressed out from all of this because his big brother just went missing also his parents are so stressed i mean they can't sleep at night and also they're monitoring everything in tony's life they're like you can't leave like you can't do this no you can't play with your friends like they're just being very protective which mm-hmm. i mean how can you not right and he made up a lie he said Oh, I've, I heard from a friend that um, Billy and Johnny are now part of a crew on a shrimp boat, like on the coast of Texas, and there's nothing to worry about, and it's going to be okay, and they're going to come home after they make some money. And he was just saying that so that his parents wouldn't be so stressed out, because he's a little boy. He's like, I just don't want you guys to be stressed out. Like, he's fine. Now, there was no validity to these claims, and it caused Johnny's family to go on a massive manhunt on all of the coastal areas to track down their son. They went and just talked to hundreds of fishermen and all of them were like, what? We don't really know what you're talking about. And then finally, when they got back, Tony Balch admitted to his lies and he was like, I'm sorry, I just... Then there was one victim that was allowed to leave. So we've got Billy Ridinger, 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 something like that okay so we've got billy who's 19 years old and the trio lured him to dean's house he was tied to the torture board he was tortured he was assaulted and for some reason david brooks said that he persuaded dean to release him and he was released a lot of people have a lot of speculations about this because the amount of people that were murdered the amount of young boys that were murdered Mm -hmm. is it possible that it was just the three of them or could there be more associates? Could Billy have said, I mean, this is all speculation, which I hate to do, especially because it's involving a victim. But I do want to point out, I did see a lot of people on Reddit that were saying, it's just really weird why they let him go. And did he go to the police? No. I'm sure, I mean, he's so scared. Mm-hmm. And these are people he sees around, right? And like, also the police, I think they have a track record That's of true. not doing anything. <laughs> So the three become this just the strangest killing machine. Like it becomes a whole ass operation. Now, as David, he starts kind of pulling away from the group. So David Brooks, the first associate, he starts trying to like do his own thing. Like he's got a girlfriend. Like he's like, oh, I don't really want to be a part of this. Right. David. David Brooks, the first one. He has a girlfriend now. I think he's always had a girlfriend. But is David into guys? No. David's straight. Remember? So both David and Elmer are completely straight. So they would just bring these boys and then Dean would be the but only I one But I thought Dean them. and David, David had a sexual relationship. All grooming. David has never been into boys. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he was also like 12, you know. So it was just assault straight up. Yeah. Yeah. So David has always been straight. So he has a girlfriend during this time and he starts kind of pulling away from the group. He's just like, I don't really want to keep doing this. Like, it's just a lot. Uh And um, as he's pulling away, I think they noticed because there was an incident where David had entered Dean's apartment and Elmer was waiting behind the door. Elmer knocked him out. Dean tied him to his bed and they, well, Dean raped him repeatedly and then released him. Like a like a power like, like a power move, and so David still continued to assist Dean with everything afterwards. Oh, like you can't leave me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, not only does David Brooks have a girlfriend, but Dean Coral has a girlfriend, and that's what we'll get into in part two. Dean's girlfriend, the rest of the murders, how they were caught, and just all of the craziness because there's craziness afterwards i can't even get into it so this will be up on saturday or sunday as the minisode so i hope you guys enjoyed part one of dean crawl i never do two-parters but this one was so intense and i'll see you guys this weekend bye